What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Cool Talks. I'm your host, Grady Cool, and with me, I have my two lovely co-hosts, Drew and Jack. And on this episode, we have our guest, Bruce Naxon. Would you like to say hi? Sure, I would love to say hi. First off, I thought you were going to take out Jack with your arm. I just saw it, like, whip by his face, and <laughs> I was hoping for, like, a... Eyes. And just him to go down, but, um... Yeah, but... But thank you for having me on. Definitely. Bruce has made some short films, also has a podcast. The- it's called The Fittest Fat Kid You Know, and it's where I use my fitness journey, the ups and downs of it, to kind of act as a jovial lens on the trials and tribulations to your fitness journey. So uh, I may not have all the answers, but I will help you frame the questions. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. Well, let's get into things. So uh, to start us off, how did you uh, use acting to gain confidence? Well, so I was... A very, 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 there are not enough varies to take up that 90 minutes worth of episode. Shy kid. At 11 years old, I weigh 280 pounds. And as you can imagine, most of your sibling, your, your peers, not siblings, mm. are amazingly warm and understanding about kids who have that Compassionate, kind of you know? Very compassionate. Kids are well known for not being cruel. Yes. <laughs> so I went through a... A childhood of a lot of bullying, a lot of abuse. I went through a teenage years where I was just cripplingly shy. Then I got into my early 20s where you guys are currently sitting. I was like, I have a choice. Either I'm going to be cripplingly shy and I will be alone forever. Or I have to do something about it. So acting was what I chose to do. Because I figured if I could learn to perform in front of people then maybe that would take the edge off of my shyness. And for a couple classes, it didn't really do much. But then I got into a play called Zoo Story, which is a two-person play about this guy named Jerry who is just miserable in his life. And basically, it's like an hour and ten minutes of this guy just vomiting the horrors of his life at somebody. Well, I got to do that for two weekends, plus matinees, to an audience of 400 people each day, each showing and there went my shyness because nothing yeah. <laughs> could potentially be worse than that just walking up to a girl and going like hi i'm bruce and i would like to talk to you it then didn't seem like such a cripplingly horrible thing it's so, to 400 people just sitting there listening to you talk yeah for two hours non-stop yeah tell me about that dog's erection again do i have to do i have oh, to no. That feels like a hell read, of a line. Read like, the play. Read the play. Um, he talks about <laughs> trying to bond with and poison this dog, and that's a good 10 minutes worth of embarrassing talk. Yeah, that would get confidence. <laughs> that really is like fake it till you make it, but then apply it externally, I guess. I think we all feel... I mean, just... <laughs> I think it's... Like, for me, it felt like if I was going to talk to somebody, I was invading their space. I was... They don't know me. They didn't show any kind of interest or maybe we locked eyes. What right do I have to, to in, invade their space, to, to break myself into their day? And that's the wrong way to look at it, but that was the way mm. I thought about it. Plus, you know, when you are that heavy, that young, it never leaves you. Like, I don't know if any, if either any one of you have ever been heavy to any degree or not. Cause I was not in middle school, but... I wasn't, yeah, 280. Right. Um, but you know how it kind of makes you feel a little less inclined to talk to people. So 
yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, hi. No, it's understandable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you uh, get into acting? You said it was uh, classes? Is that just offered at your school? Yeah, I had been... I had been a musician and my band went away and oh. music ended for me. I was a bass player. So, um, mm. it, it had the dual benefit at the time of there aren't that many bass players. So if you could reasonably play, play bass, everybody wants to play with you. But I was playing at a time where, um, it was towards the end of metal being popular. And everybody wanted to be in those kinds of bands. And I had gotten into a whole bunch of alternative and different music. And nobody wanted to play what I wanted to play. So I couldn't find anybody to play with. I was without a creative outlet. And if you're a creative person, being without a creative outlet is a very painful thing. Especially if you're shy and you don't have other outlets, losing one of your key points of expression would probably be rough. Yeah, and it was. So it dawned on me that maybe I should try something. So fine woodworking seemed like a good idea. So I went to, I got a course at a community college, went into there to go into fine woodworking. It turns out I'm highly allergic to certain types of woods. Really? <laughs> That's a thing? I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it can be a thing. I didn't, from a health perspective, day one in class was not the right day for me. So I needed to switch to something. So I jumped into acting because of the shyness. It seemed like the opportunity. And into the communication yeah. tract, and that's kind of how that happened. That sounds like almost a God-given situation. Where it's <laughs> like you try and go somewhere you're not really supposed to go, and it's just like, well, you aren't allowed to do that. Move on. <laughs> certainly, oh, a, certainly a divine prank. I think. Um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think very much it would be God messing with me. Mm, that's well, you're a good sport enough. about it. You uh, you seem to move in the right direction. Well, when you so, could, when you could actually get credit for pretending to be a tree for five minutes, then why wouldn't you? <laughs> Every kid in their Fair like school play. Yes. <laughs> be a tree. Repeat after me. Repeat what your partner is saying. Do it ad nauseum for ten minutes. I love acting classes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yeah, yes, and I love acting classes, and I can't wait to pay a lot of money for my next one. <laughs> well it's a good thing acting pays so well that you can afford yes. more and the respect and the gravitas that comes along with it and of course the way when you tell everybody what do you do for a living well I'm an actor oh that sounds very productive and lucrative it yeah that's <laughs> that's the impression I get oh jeez so after getting a little bit more confidence with acting and feeling like you could actually put yourself out there did that eventually inspire some of your work with short films and then later the podcast? Hmm. Funny enough, I'm not, I don't think so. I think how I got to doing my own work was frustration because, so to start, I began acting. I was not good at it because most people aren't good at it to start. It's a skill you develop. I got into a bunch of plays. I began getting decent at it. And during that period of time, I had met this gorgeous, talented, insanely smart woman who wanted nothing more than to be an actress. And she even lived in Los Angeles. Now, I was from Philadelphia, so it's not exactly the center of the artistic universe. Even though, in fairness, we do have a nice amount of theaters and art, and there's a thriving community theater scene. 
But the point is, you're not making a living in Philadelphia as an actor. She had lived in Los Angeles. She never tried. She came to uh, the Philadelphia area with her husband. And she just, this was just a thing she was doing, not even as a hobby. She really wanted to make it, but she didn't try. So I realized, okay, if I want to try to do this, then I have to try to do it. So I packed up, moved to Los Angeles, became a computer technician. And doing freelance IT work is about as far away as you're going to get from acting. And you get too far away from stuff. If you're trying to pursue any kind of goal, you can have side jobs that are, if you look at it like a clock, there's, you know, around the three, nine mark. If your job kind of fits over here, it doesn't really detract from the goals you're trying to get to. But if you're under that mark, so you're in heavy customer service that requires a lot of your time, it's going to detract from any kind of other endeavors you want to do. You want your day job to at least be to some degree complementary in one form or another to what your goals are. Freelance IT work definitely wasn't. So I wasn't being able to get out there. I got to Los Angeles, but I was now working. On top of that, I fall between types. I don't exactly fit into a casting type that people understand. Mm. So I have difficulty getting agents. I have difficulty Mm. going out for parts. It's frustrating. After years of that, it was sort of like, well, if I don't do something for myself, nothing will ever happen. It's going to always be this. So... I asked for advice from a manager I had at that time. And she was like, I want you to do stand-up, which is a very, very sad world from my perspective and I don't want to be part of, or do make, make, make a web series. And this was like 10 years ago. Okay. That was actually pretty good back then. Yeah, <laughs> back in that day. Yeah, okay, web series. So I don't know how to do anything in a small manner. I, I just don't. So when she said do a web series, I wrote a 10-episode, multi-location, multi-camera sitcom that had like a cast of 20-something people, a crew of over 30-something people that was going to take place under an insane shooting schedule that was like three weekends that ended up being four weekends. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to produce. I didn't know anything about filmmaking. So I barely knew about acting. And... This was my first thing, and it was just because I wanted to define who I was, which was kind of a, at the time, I sort of viewed myself more at my my butter roll was the lovable loser kind of guy, but one that you would root for and believe could possibly get the girl or be in these situations. The underdog everyone's rooting for. Yes. Um, I have pinchable cheeks. So what... (laughs) What ended up happening is I, I made this thing, the person, and it was, it was a success and it was a failure at the exact same time. It was a horrific mess of a, of a circumstance, but I managed to get everything shot in two episodes right, um, instances. I had to shoot them twice because my initial director just it went so poorly and there were so many different problems again my very very first time doing anything and i didn't know about how to run a set i didn't know if there were things that felt weird it's probably time to stop and address them before 
getting them on camera. But, you know, I, I did it. And then like almost a year later, I released under the doghouse and the original channel that it was under each episode had a couple thousand views. So it didn't just vanish, but it also didn't do that great. And then later on, a bad advice told me to get rid of that channel and re upload them. So now they have no views, but Uh, a couple thousand views on your first like film is big. Yeah. That's not nothing. I, I guess I was, I was more caught up at just getting them out. What I wanted to establish to nobody in particular was I'm going to have this series. It's going to be one episode a week for 10 weeks and I'm going to make sure they get out there. And I did that. And also I I learned, it was a great learning experience, but Oh God, I imagine. (laughs) Well, you make a ton of mistakes. First off writing, producing, starring, catering, all (laughs) your very, very first thing. To that many people, that's just a bad idea. I, I don't suggest anybody do it. It's cheaper than film school. But hey, that's something. You learn something. Like when there's this one episode, it's supposed to be fast face and fast paced, and it's dragging unbelievably badly. Like, oh crap, we don't have an episode. You start learning how to really, really edit quickly to try to <laughs> to fix what's not there. Or learning to create things like this moment's not there, but we've got 10 minutes of me waiting for the camera to hear action. And out of that, we can get some reactions as I'm just, I'm not really doing anything but waiting. Is he ever going to call it? And so a range of emotions go through the face. It's like, oh, there's three seconds of existential dread. Cut, cut, move there. We have an emotional moment. It works. That sounds and like they were how, genuine emotions. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> like taking uh, whenever you're trying to get like a thumbnail, trying to just grab like some moment out of yeah. the entire episode and just throw it up there. Like, what happened? It was the transition before the sneeze, but God, it made you look really worried about something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it's like, <laughs> it's just us mad because someone turned off the lights. Yeah, I guess one question for me is. When you're talking about putting together a short film like this, obviously it's hard to, one, find people, find the money, find, like, the actual, like, parts, meaning, like, we have several lights in here, camera, computer, tables, all that. Did you already have, like, that kind of money sitting around to be able to do that? Did you have to take out a loan? Did you have to basically crowdsource money to be able to do this type of thing? What were kind of some of the logistics behind that? So for Under the Doghouse, the the first thing, I had... The job that I was working was a freelance job. I had a fairly nice townhouse apartment. I had expenses, but I also had extra money. I probably had about three, four thousand dollars in the bank. When I was told that the from the uh, freelance IT gig, yeah, gotcha. So I had about three, four thousand dollars in the bank. I spoke to the guy who was supposed to help me produce. The guy who helped was supposed to help me produce. Everything he told me to do worked exactly as he told me how to do it. Mm. Anything left in his hands, he just botched or he didn't do. Or (laughs) it it was really strange. He came out of um, event TV. So he worked as, um, I'm not exactly sure what his position was. Sometimes it was a cameraman, but it was for like 
Um, if it was like the Emmys, though, not the Emmys. It was stuff like that, though. Gotcha. Okay. Like um, televising stuff. Yeah. Charity events, sports games, stuff like that. Stuff. The one thing he didn't know, like for him, he was like, "We'll get a director. The director doesn't matter." Well, for stuff That's... like that, the director <laughs> might not. But hmm. for a comedy series, the director is incredibly important. And I, having never put something together like this, I'm getting off topic. Let me get back to the finance thing. We can talk about choosing your director later. Finance. <laughs> so I had the $4,000, which Gor um, Gordon, Gordon told me is going all to food. And it did. And, it, <laughs> and, and that's one of the things, if you're, if you are trying to do your own production, here's a little bit of advice for you, listener, whoever you are. But if you're trying to do your own production, the one thing you can't skimp on, no matter what you think, is the food. Because if you're getting your friends out to help you, if you're bringing people out and you're not able to pay them or you're paying them very little, they have no reason to be invested. But if you provide, if you provide Domino's Pizza, you're telling people you don't care. Like, you completely don't care. Subway is a bit the same thing. You get yourself some Chinese food, you're at least coming up into another tier. You have to invest in your food because food is what tells people that you care about them. And people will become, if you have a good spread, people will work harder for you because they think, and, and it's legitimate, they understand that you do care about them. And that was one of the things with my crew for Under the Doghouse, I really couldn't pay anybody. So it was a bunch of people just out of film school. But we spent a ton of money on the food because the money... If I had taken that money and just tried to give it to people, I'd basically be giving people gas money. And, <laughs> and nobody cares about that. Even though people care about that, nobody cares about that. Now, in my later films... Wouldn't be a driving force. Yes. Mm -hmm. In my later films, we paid the crew. I, I paid the crew, and that was also out of my pocket. But Under the Dog House was the $4,000. That mostly went to food. I also took out a loan for about $5,000, which I didn't intend to use, but I ended up doing. I had to rent all the equipment mm, for yep. all the weekends. I had to, um, it was the equipment, it was the food. There was some location fee. Some places just let me shoot where they were going to shoot. Some of it was like Pete's apartment was my townhouse. Uh, Ray, his buddy's apartment was the guy who played Ray's apartment. We shot in a park and that was only $75 for a permit to shoot in the park. Because um, Burbank was very had a very welcoming philosophy towards filmmakers. I think I had to pay about $400 for an office that I was able to use three rooms in for three different things. I had a client at the time who had a nice table for the for meetings. So I and I had keys. So I shot there for this office thing. <laughs> so so. It all costs a lot of money, and in the end, I had no money left. Like, it, For me, it sounds like food would be such a trivial thing, like if people are already doing you that type of favor. But it, in hindsight, it does make a lot of sense to me that of all the places where people would feel the most taken care of, that <laughs> food, the thing that people find the most comfort in is the area where they're like, this man really cares about me. <laughs> My craft service table was insane. And I've all what and at the on there? oh god, um, several different several different types of muffins or cakes, 
at least two forms of ramen, <laughs> a, 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 a widespread of name candy, not some generic like out of the dollar store bag, just like a, a good Costco fourteen dollar hundred and eight thing where you've got your Snickers, your Twix, whatever happened to be under that brand. That um, pretzels, chips, veggie tray, oatmeal, fresh fruit, and at least five other things. Plus, so people got some real, real quality there. Yeah, I've had, yeah, I haven't had lunch yet, so this is a. <laughs> I, I, I'd work for you for food. Like, <laughs> but the it thing is, food, sense, feed food speaks to. More primitive instincts. Yep. And food right. is a very... The lizard brain. Yeah, important social construct. So all of our important things, hell, yesterday, is all... Every holiday is built around food. Either the Ramadan, of course, built around the lack of it until a, until the end of it. But it's all, <laughs> it's all this feasting and communal gathering. So it does... Sit, if, if I were to go, hey, Gritty... Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Let me take you to lunch. I want to take you to lunch. God knows where you are, but let's assume you're across the <laughs> me. I'm going to take you to lunch. Where am We're I taking you? We're in the background. You? We're in New York City. Oh, you're in New York City. So Del Taco wouldn't mean anything to you. But um, Del Taco. <laughs> I'm going to take you to White Castle. Great. There you go. Great. That's, that's nice. There's nothing wrong with White Castle. But that doesn't exactly say to you like, oh, man. That's appreciation versus going to like some nice Italian restaurant or. Right. Yeah. One of the things. Makes a ton of sense. It's just a different tier. Yeah. Yeah. Here it's like we've got Wiener Schnitzel, white, you know, we don't have White Castle. We've like Wiener Schnitzel, Jack in the Box, um, Del Taco, and there's nothing wrong with the food there. Or there's a lot wrong with the food there. It doesn't really matter. That, that, that's not the <laughs> Depends point. Depends on the day. Brady, that's not the point. <laughs> Um, the point is that it doesn't mean anything where, right. you know, at the very least I could have taken you to the art house or yeah. something like I'm that. I'm assuming people get pretty cranky during filmmaking when you're doing it like on weekends and you have a crazy schedule and it's all day. If there's any like hot, cold weather or just holding things up for long periods of time or in between shoots or. King is a long series of. Intense activity followed by long stretches of waiting for somebody else to do something that is hypercritical and sensitive, but chances are you don't understand what it is, so you're just getting irritated about it. Makes a ton of sense. So I've had I lunch. understand how food goes right into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my... Don't burn down the set. Go go visit the craft services table. <laughs> on my last film you're angry. Set... Yeah. On my last film set, we had it was a small crew because it wasn't supposed to be a, a short film. It was a stunt exercise that I decided to make into a short film. So there was only a crew of three or four people in this warehouse. Did you see Lunchtime is Over? Not that one. All right. So watch that one because that one's a hell of a lot of fun. And I took a flip on the concrete and I'm damn proud of that. So I want people to see that. Nice. Okay. Um, I was armored. The whole point being, though, it's this guy, Ted. And, and Ted had is this he's the cinematographer he's got two camera guys both of which are on um steady cams so it, everything's constantly moving 
he's the only person moving lights or there was one person assisting him. Meanwhile, we had somebody else sitting around and it took 15 minutes to do a location move in this warehouse and set up the shot. And this guy's just there complaining and bitching. Well, what's taking so long? Now, I need him to be happy because I need him to perform. I need the lights to be moved. I need everything. Uh, there's a ton of stuff happening that I'm directing and I'm also involved in doing stunts. But at some point I had to go to him. I was like, you understand that the entire point of them being here is to capture what we're doing. It takes them time. You don't understand what they're doing, so it doesn't seem important to you. But it's hypercritical because without what they're doing, we don't see any of this. This is all a waste of time. So go be patient. <laughs> you have like don't normally talk to people like that, but you can't have somebody there demoralizing the rest of the crew and the cast because they're just, ah, what's taking so long? What's taking so long is he's moving five lights by himself. That's what's taking so long. He's trying to get everything in focus before we start punching at each other again. It's <laughs> and he's making your effort worthwhile. Yes, he is. He is making you look good and you're going to look good. We're going to make sure of that. Hold your horses, sit down, and have a donut. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so yeah, so there was, that's like all the way back to the original thing, which was financing. All came out of my pocket, never saw any money from it. But the important point of it was to try to show myself as that character. And I think reasonable amount of success, though, it was so such an overwhelming experience. I couldn't perform up to my highest capacity. I sometimes have difficulty watching it because it's like, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's me every time I look at these podcasts. Yes. Don't worry. Drew can't listen to his own voice, so we yeah. don't understand. Yeah. How long have you been doing the podcast? Over a year now. <laughs> yeah. It takes a while before, like, for you to get that mental switch where it's sort of like, God, I look hideous, and I, and I sound terrible and why does anybody want to talk to me and then it oh. where you can turn that switch off and just go like well the content was okay i think we should cut that because it doesn't get to the meat of the matter and it's just a lot of people going at eh, and uh or my favorite yeah. phrase that i've discovered from podcasting uh and uh <laughs> so have we done that yet yeah. like um so uh and uh so I you get kind of numb to all of it at a certain point where you just start feeling like you got to find something in there to improve. And other than that, don't care. Time to move on. Well, Grady and I have hit that point one day, one day, Drew, you'll join our ranks where you, you don't care about yeah. your uh, depiction. Oh, I don't. I'll move past it. Doesn't don't. mean I won't be dying inside about it. Well, that sounds very moved on. Right. As long as there's still a bit of your soul to continue to die, you're fine. Yeah, exactly. It's a very slow dying process. It's about the same speed as the healing process. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So, with our next question, you pretty much already answered it, so I'm going to change it. Perfect. So you said, we were going to ask whether Improv. you participate in the films or if you just write and direct them. Uh, so instead, like, which one do you prefer? If you got to choose to predominantly be actually on the pointed end of the camera or the pointer, which would you prefer? I don't know that I have a, a real preference because I view it all like a puzzle and it's the various pieces. I, I, I think I've gotten to the point though, where I, I like to have 
two hats, maybe three, and, and that's it. But I love acting, and I love performing. As you can see, I'm very animated in how I'm talking to you. I, I, I When I'm talking to somebody, All I right. point off to them. They're somewhere over there in my... um. Apparently in my backyard. I think they're watching me. Um, but forget them. <laughs> I gesture with my hands. I, I and and I try to be animated, partially because that's a performance thing. If I if someone's going to watch this, if I'm just, I prefer to write. Oh, that's for, a we've had that plenty of times. Yes, I mean. and and as a host, you sit there and you're dying inside, going, "Well, this is my episode." Which is about as exciting as watching a snail going for a leisurely stroll. You're just thinking about editing and you're like, how how do I make this something? How do I... This person had the most compelling story. Why does it sound like someone talking in minute detail about waiting for the bus and their reflections <laughs> on how a bus arrives? Why does it feel that exactly. way? <laughs> oh, we've had and a it, fair share of those. Probably because yeah. I started a side tangent. Yeah, of course. It does happen. <laughs> it just, it just, it just grinds to a halt, and you're just sitting there going, "I could have been just sitting there staring at the wall today," and a lot of my listeners may feel the same way. But so for me, I, I, I like the performing of it. I like, th and I like the writing because I have ideas and I want to get them out there. Dark Specter Two led to a series pitch that because of COVID never really happened. But out of out of the first Dark Spectre, which was just a comedy skit, they weren't real people, though we played them like real people. They were SNL characters. Mm -hmm. That became Dark Spectre 2. If any of you haven't watched these things, none of this means anything to you. But fortunately, I tend to not care about stuff like that. I will just continue to talk. So we got to Dark Spectre 2. And well, in for Dark the audience, can you want to uh, give like kind of a, not a synopsis, but just kind of like a, Overview, like IMDb what? summary. Why, my God, that's almost like a host giving a good question. Yes, I absolutely <laughs> do. So in the original Dark Spectre, it was about a powerful supervillain involved fighting his nemesis that gets interrupted by his mother, who misunderstands this for a date. That's Dark Spectre 1. Okay. Dark Spectre good, 2 good hook. is about this villain who had a heist that kind of went south and then he's there talking to his mother about it. And then it comes out that there's something specifically wrong with his mother that holds him back. Because the whole premise of the Dark Spectre hmm. is he's this supervillain who is what he is. The comedy is not out of the fact that he is incompetent at being a villain. He is a villain. But he has a mother who has early onset dementia. And he has to take care of her as well. And it really makes the character a lot more human. Yes. And as the ep and in the series what was what was about the Dark Spectre, there's words put together for you. In the series, part of what comes out about the Dark Spectre is his mother, she had herself had been a scientist style supervillain. Someone who used technology. Her early onset Alzheimer's is a direct result of her inventions. The thing oh. is she is a very crafty person. She is a, she's someone who likes to work with her hands. And she has all this scientific knowledge. And it's unshackled from because of her early onset dementia. So any day, she could just invent a, an interdimensional tear in a box. Or she might knit socks that will self-regulate your body temperature. Or it might be an atomic bomb. You don't know what it's going to be because she can do whatever. 
So he has to, so not only does he have to take care of her, he effectively has to protect society from her while trying Ah, to go through his machinations. So there's a, and this was born out of a bunch of superhero posturing that sounded like garden talk that then led to um, the mother misunderstanding this thing as a date wasn't a real thing. And now it's this deep thing with huge backstory. Sorry, as a joke. <laughs> yeah. A huge backstory. Um, spinoff ideas, just a ton of stuff. All of which of course is now in limbo because it feels a little like one COVID shut everything down and we weren't connected enough and we weren't far enough along to just pick it back up. Mm, and right. then, oh. and then two, a lot of superhero supervillain stuff has come out since then. And even though I was years ahead of some of the style, now it kind of looks derivative. Oh, it's a little oversaturated. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. There's a lot of a lot of stuff there now. A lot of the superheroes, but what if this instead of the normal? Oh, I can the boys. See that. Yeah. Is there any uh, frustration that comes with that? Oh, a lot. I mean, <laughs> the amount of time, effort, and money you think it sounded like under the doghouse cost a lot of money. Dark Spectre 2, in the end, cost us, and not all of it came out of my pocket. Some of it came from crowdfunding. The director paid for the VFX, which were $25,000. Jeez. But Dark Spectre 2, probably collectively from everyone involved in all the money sources, and it's going to sound ridiculous because it's a nine-minute short film, but because of the fight sequence and how it was shot and where it was shot and everything that went into it, we're looking at like a forty, fifty thousand dollar production as a proof of concept. And we didn't even know it was going to be a proof of concept. When the idea came to do it, it was because we we're going to have cameras one weekend. Let's do something. Okay, let's do. Let's. Here's a Dark Spectre <laughs> I mean, two. Let's do it. And it just fifty thousand dollars <laughs> for ten minutes is like almost Hollywood level budget. Sadly, believe not it. Quite. Yeah, not quite. Not smaller Hollywood. Wow. It's, yeah, it's like that's... an independent film style budget. And had I known it was going to be that much, had I known that's what was going to happen, I wouldn't have done it. I, I would not have done it. <laughs> VFX were supposed to be free. And by free, I mean we had somebody as a producer who was a VFX guy. He was going to do the VFX. And the one shot he did was amazing. He also got a job that was 14 hours a day, six days a week. And his wife had a kid. So, oops. Oh. <laughs> so life happened. <laughs> life happened. And that... How often does stuff like that come up? Where someone was supposed to do their job and they just disappear and you only had six people and all of a sudden it's like... Oops. Well... It, it can happen with alarming frequency, especially on a low to no budget... Of course, the when you can pay, so when you're an independent filmmaker and you're trying to do everything, you're either doing it with like your closest friends, or there's just you, or there's one or two or three of you, or you're paying people and you're trying to get the budget so that people take it seriously. For Dark Spectre Two, especially on Fight Day, because there was Fight Day and then there was there was three days. There was Newscast Day. And for Newscast Day, it was just us. So it was Newscast Day cost us $150. And most of that was for food. It was nice. we shot it at Saugus High School at in their um 
green screen area. So we had a bunch of people interning for us for school credit. So we didn't have to actually pay them. Oh, but of course, we, we gave them food and we actually gave them, instead of being like, oh, you're an intern, it was like, okay, we're going to give them real titles and we're going to give them real credit mm. for the jobs they did and not just be like, hey, high school student, intern, 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 or on, <laughs> or just, you know, special thanks. So the girl who was assisting the director became the AD. The guy who was doing the lights was the gaffer. They did the job, and we gave them the real credit for it, plus they got their school credit. And we gave them a bunch of food at the end of the day. So that was... that <laughs> Not was a bad deal. Not a bad deal. That was day one. Day two was the fight day. And the fight day was in the middle of Riverside County, outside of their... Um, it's the CAC building. It's the Country Controller building. It... The thing about it, because originally we wanted to do it in the middle of the street, and this is why it costs so much. We wanted it to. Oh, we have to close down the road. We wanted it to look real. We wanted it to happen during the day. We wanted there to be a big cast of people there. We wanted the action to be dynamic, including having having it look like I was thrown into a throwing into a got thrown into a truck that crushed it. Now, of course, we couldn't mm -hmm. do that, so we got a truck that had been in a car accident and <laughs> and had it towed there, and we had that there. And then there was like a bit of a camera shake and a whip pan so that it looked like, boom, I was in it, but it just, I was leaning into it. And then we had fake glass all over me to fall off me. And then we had also had 3D more glass done. We did a professional job on it. And I'm very proud of it because we had stunt coordinator on set. We had, I think it was like a crew of about 15 people. The actual film coordinator for Riverside County was there to supervise and because we were near the police station, they were very adamant that we needed to be done shooting by seven o'clock that night and be gone. And they even began patrolling nearby to make sure of that mm. around five <laughs> o'clock at night. But we Your were shifty filmmakers. Oh, yeah. Them and they're kind out. We had one person come over because we're filming in the parking lot. We had we had um, a not porta potties. We had a trailer that came out that had three bathrooms in it. And apparently that was somebody's favorite. It was sitting in somebody's favorite parking spot. So they came over and even though it was, I was the executive producer. I was the star. I was not the director. At one point, what they did is um, my AD came over to me and she was like, okay, you, and this was about six in the morning. Right now you've got yourself a half hour where you get to be producer. Once we hit six 30, you go to makeup you're now talent unless there's an extreme emergency that only you can answer. Nobody is going to bother you. You are not to be involved in the production from here on out. Hmm. And, and that's that, good. And that's what we, they did up until there was like one or two moments. And of course, at one point I had to pull a slight bit of rank when there, I was in makeup because the dark specter has this face makeup on. And the thing about thing about sets is it's always a balance of one group's one department's needs versus another. So makeup needs a half hour to do the makeup. They want to get rolling in 15 minutes. Somehow we've got to make a compromise, but they kept sending over um, the second AD to check on my makeup, but they were doing it every three minutes. And so they'd come over and Dwight, 
he'd be like, uh, is makeup ready? And she's like, no, I need 20 minutes. Okay. He'd go away. Three minutes later, is makeup done. Finally, after the fifth one of these, I was like, Dylan, how long do you need realistically to get my makeup done? 15 minutes. Great. Dwight, don't come back for 15 minutes. I, I, I appreciate what you're doing, but she said 15 minutes. Every time you come back, you interrupt her doing her job. It's taking longer. Tell Shaki that it's 15 minutes and do not come back until 15 minutes. Just let her do her job. Now it's the last time I, I got to do, but that's how it got expensive. It was the middle of the street. Okay. We had in, there was, we had to have insurance. You should always have insurance, but you know, the insurance is $2,000 for the film shoot. So we needed to have that. Plus we're renting all this equipment. So you had to have Marine insurance, which is why it got so high. And that covers anything breaking. We had to have a grip truck come out with an operator that ended up being $2,000. And that was all the, the lighting, even though we didn't really use lights, but that was all of the scrims and all of various p bits of equipment. We had a Snorri cam for this one shot that tragically didn't work. It was for one of a Snorri mm. cam does that thing where you, where it's locked on the person and all the, the environments are moving. The trick to that yeah. shot is you need to have things very much nearby to go past. Otherwise you can't tell. Um, oh, it was just a blur. Gotcha. Right. Because, okay. yeah, because there's nothing going past and everything's in the distance. So you don't see it going past. But meanwhile, it's this, it was like a $250 rental that didn't work. And we had um, ah. a Ronin that didn't get an, end up getting used. And we had a limited amount of time, bunch of cast, all of this equipment, and it adds up. It adds up fast. Or you're kind of doing low budget what you can do i mean you should always do what you can do but we were trying to make so uh, what happened with the uh the porta potties was there was there a resolution to that i feel like we dove into no oh, no the porta potties the no she she just bitched at us for like 10 minutes oh, oh that's where okay. that's where i got to i didn't get to experience it because they kept it away from me but oh good they shielded you yeah the director right. the ad and I believe the cinematographer had to listen to her to complain for five minutes about us being there. And finally, the the commissioner had to the film commissioner had to get in and say, like, look, they rented, they paid, they have permits, they're allowed to be here. Your department knows they're they're here. So take that parking spot, please. <laughs> so you right. basically just have to plan for constant interruptions and obstructions and try to do your best to avoid it. Yes, the weirdest disruption I ever had on a film set was we were shooting off in... It was this thing that has never been publicly released called Nothing Personal. And it was supposed to be a 10-episode... Yeah, 10-episode web series for a sketch comedy group that I had. We were shooting out in... Um, still kind of in Riverside County in this privately owned land that was going to be developed into something. It was, it was a disposal of a body scene. And it was like this neat looking quarry thing. And I got permission mm. to be there. We got, we got the permits. Everybody knew we were there at, and it's an overnight shoot because this is the murder thing. And we're doing it at night at three in the morning, yep. <laughs> some massive ass truck comes over the dune and now he's circling the film shoot. Oh, and of course the light and that's going to ruin the, f well, I mean, just, just the fact that there's this truck going around is it's a concerning thing because who the hell is this person 
They're like, oh, it's yeah. It's about this, to be a murder scene. <laughs> it's about to be a murder scene. And he was just some dude who was, like, dune buggying it, I guess. And was like, oh, you know, this is my land. And I was like, no, I, I, I know the owner because I spoke to him. He gave me permission. It's like, could you please get the hell out of our shot? <laughs> like, there's tons of sh- there's tons of places to run your truck. Can it not be over that one hill? Could you <laughs> just go away, please, before we have to call the cops? So that was the weirdest disruption. But yeah, film is a film shoot is you salvaging what you're trying to do from all the little mistakes that occur. I like that quote. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like when you have a bunch of different people that you're trying to get to work on one thing at once and they all have their own different objectives, <laughs> that there'd be a lot of resource fighting, objective fighting. I just, and then not to mention when people aren't, you know, financially obligated to be there, that there's <laughs> that's where it really problems gets, with that alone as well. That's where it gets really difficult because at that point you are at the, you are at the mercy of whoever this, this person is. That's why I, I try to pay people or have them invested in, in it, the project in some way or another. That's why I haven't done anything nice recently. Food. Yeah, yeah. The food, the food helps, but also it's like, um, the only person who got paid on, um, lunchtime is over was Ted and we had to have a conversation about it It was sort of like well how much do you want to do this so how much do you want to pay me it's like okay we're we're both very uncomfortable having this conversation we both Mm. do not want to have this conversation but I want you to throw a number out at me knowing that I will not be insulted if the number is too high I will counter offer without malice and if the number is acceptable to me I will agree to it and he threw out his number, which was 300 for a two-day shoot. That is amazing. I was like, yes, absolutely. I was like, see, no problem. It's not a matter of um, everyone's objective is to get the shoot done, ideally without as much pain as humanly possible. But you do have various departments that have counter needs. Lighting always wants to take as long as they can to get the lighting absolutely right. Unless they don't care, at which point they just want to throw up a light and not care. If you're not paying them and if you're talking to them like you're some kind of overlord, then chances are they're not going to care. But fair enough. The direct as someone who's mostly in charge of the lighting on our set, I can agree with this wholeheartedly. Oh my goodness, Drew. Drew gets paid in love. Yes. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Earlier, you were talking about how uh, your your short film series with the uh, Under the Doghouse Productions. We mentioned earlier that, that one got about a couple thousand views per episode for the whole series. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what generally was kind of the reception to everything else that you uh, put out? So with the uh, Lunchtime is Over, Dark, Pe- Dark Spectre 2? Dark Spectre 2 has... Um, people seem to... It didn't get much of a viewership, though, again, that was another thing where there was one video and then because we were winning awards. We wanted to put awards into the titling. So then we had to re-upload it because you can't re-upload on YouTube. Um, mm. Dark Spectre 2 right. got a couple got a couple thousand views, but people seem to people definitely seem to like it. What was um the funniest reaction I got is on the Dark Spectre Facebook page, somebody went on a um weird neurotic filled tear on the costume design of the supervillain's outfit, mm. how it made him look fat. 
how fat it made him. It made him look amazingly fat. And I, I, I read this, and I was like, okay. how do I address this? So I, so I made a comment. I was like, I want to be clear. I'm paraphrasing because this was a couple of years ago. I can't remember exactly what I said. It was like, I want to be clear. It isn't the costume that makes me look fat. It's the <laughs> fact that I weighed 250 pounds when I shot this that makes me look fat. That's not the fault of the costume designer. Also, and of course, I there. We get haters. Getting haters means you're doing well. The, the, if someone cares enough right. to hate on yeah. something, the power of people on social media to leave like several paragraph essays about how much they hate like one particular thing. Just this detail right here to this mm. day. He made one video on Dogecoin. Mistake. <laughs> That's a mistake. To the moon, baby. The people, comment section was... People were mad. You fucking idiot. You don't know Me but Inu forever. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Don't, don't talk to NFT people. I, yeah. but I suppose the question is, uh, what, what kind of is your... How do you respond to uh, getting a reaction that you're not quite expecting? Or, you know, you, you have a certain idea in mind, you know, when you're about to come out with something about what you think the reception will be, how many viewers are watching, how they'll like it. And has that, does that normally... Are you usually correct? And if you're not, how do you, how do you respond to that? Well, it's... I'm not sure I can... Uh, well, this isn't going to sound great, but this is the, the honest truth. I don't care too much, and the reason That's I don't healthy. Care, I don't. The reason I don't care. <laughs> Let's too, sleep at night. Yeah. The reason I don't care too much is an individual opinion in the long run doesn't matter. What matters are trends. So, if I, if I say, hey. What did you think of my video? It's like, well, you know, I thought the idea was great, but the execution left a lot to be desired. And of course, like that girl, I hated that girl. Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm there like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Overall, how do I process that? So mostly liked it, but not kind of. And it was good, but it wasn't. Mm. If, ten, if one person sees something and they give you a whole bunch of opinions, who knows? Who cares? But if 20 people come at you and go like, you know, I just didn't find it believable. Like, I, I couldn't get past this thing. And all 20 people couldn't get past that thing. Then no matter how you feel about it, that's an issue. The aggregate tells okay. you this was an issue. You like the holistic approach. You like that hard data. Yeah. Or I like to see the trend. So I know that, okay, if, if everybody who watches this has the same reaction then the impression they're getting off is real. And the other thing about artistic endeavors is it doesn't matter what you thought your artistic endeavor was going to be. It's entirely different for you what your thing is. How it's consumed is what it is. Because, yes. like, oh, I saw this thing and it was talking about this and it was so wonderful. I, like, I didn't put that message in there. I, I That's not what I was saying. Doesn't matter. That's what you read into it. Uh, you know, so you have to, you have to let these things go and be what they are. And if a lot of people don't like them, that can be sad if you care. If a lot of people <laughs> like it, then that's good. It's what you wanted. Are you entertained? I hope you are. Did you like it? Please like it. I would love for you to like it. If you don't, it probably is not going to affect what I'm doing in the next hour. It's just not going to have an impact. And that's the way I think you have to look at it because otherwise... Back with Under the Doghouse, 
somebody. And then under the doghouse, I probably weighed about 212. Weight is an issue for me. Clearly, I have a podcast called The Fittest Fat Kid You Know. Weight is something that stays with me. Now, with Under the Doghouse, I weighed less than I do now, but more than I should have. I weighed probably about 210, which for me isn't bad. Um, I should be around 170, so 210 also, not good. Somebody wrote me, and I, de- I deleted this at the time because I didn't know how to process at the time. Mm-hmm. Wrote me so your first one. something that if you copied it and pasted it into a Word document would have been three, four pages long. About how oh my god, <laughs> how fat I was, how ugly I was, how somebody who looked like me under no circumstance could ever get girls who looked that hot, and then he proceeded to write me an entire diet and exercise plan, <laughs> detailed instructions of how I should be working out, when I should be what? working out, how He's I should saying, be eating. I'm gonna help you out. Yes, <laughs> like, I got you. I don't crit- criticize. I constructively but, criticize. Okay. Horrible that he did that, but was it good advice? I wish I could remember. Again, at this point, if this came in, I can engage. It's sort of like with the guy with like how fat I looked. It's like, yeah, I looked fat. I was fat. Congratulations, Sherlock. You're perceptive. Um, (laughs) But it's sort of like, no, here's why. And that person, of course, and and unapologetic. Unapologetically, direct, didn't insult him, didn't curse at him, but very much presenting like, yes, I was heavy. I looked I looked fat because I looked fat. What is your point? And the person having been confronted with that shrunk. So when I get criticisms like that, one of the things you want to do is when somebody misinterprets your bit of art, whatever it is, or something you did, you start explaining it or trying to, to relay what you were trying to do. And that's a worthless endeavor. They picked up what they picked up, and it's just better to be like, well, okay, well, thank you. That's um, that's interesting, and I will think about that. Because what are you going to do? Like, you can't – you didn't get the joke. So now I'm going to explain the joke to you. It's like, yeah, I can see how that was funny. I could see how I might have laughed at that. That would have been humorous. It's one of those things where (laughs) for it to have been what you want it to be, you should have conveyed it in a way where they would have got it without you having to explain it. Or like, have have you guys made your own films? Like aside from like YouTube videos where you're doing what we're effectively doing these interviews or things like this, have you tried to make a narrative type thing? I've done D and D a lot. (laughs) So, yes, but no. Like, you filmed... I have not tried to... Like, what, what not I'm... Not filmed. Okay, so, when you're I filming... stop motion with a stuffed animal once. Yeah, would it be for... That sounds very like, personal, and I don't know story. if you should be public with that. <laughs> it's on YouTube. You can find it if you look hard enough. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome, All actually. All my stuff is just, like, old gaming and finance and podcast material. <laughs> I think I get it from a D&D standpoint, because if you are the one who is telling the story, your players are your audience... And, and your actors. Yeah, so if, like the way that they perceive the world that you're giving them is what the world has to be. You can't just like say no to everything they're trying to do or what they're understanding because then you're just making a boring story. Should have been more descriptive. Right. But when, you do, when you're doing something like filming something, because 
what you when you see a film you're seeing the end result so you don't mm -hmm. see the thousand mistakes you don't see that there had been all of these drawings laid out what we wanted this thing to, to be shot like but as it turned out this one shot was out of focus we never we at the end of the day had eight shots left but we could only get five of them so we had to sacrifice three of these just because we were not going to make it during the day this bit that we thought was going to be brilliant it doesn't play so there's not only just how you're laying out the story there's the mechanics of trying to present that story in a visual format and the challenges that go along with this this thing was soft focus this thing as it turns out has a, a glaring inconsistency that is just too present we can't use it this thing that we all thought was brilliant that goes flat and there's no way of editing around that because that's a sharp joke mm. what ends up being on screen is rarely if ever exactly what's in your head so you have you know what you had wanted you know how this story didn't quite come together the way you wanted it to come together and you live with that. And so in your perceptions, and that also weighs your perception of it. So you might see something mm. like, have you ever gone to like someone, like a friend's performance of something? And it was good. It was really good. And you go up to him and like, Bob, dude, that was awesome. And he starts telling you what went wrong. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah and, and, absolutely. And, and meanwhile. <laughs> the only one who noticed. <laughs> yeah. You're like, uh, okay. It sucked. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it was like, I, I, like, am I an asshole for enjoying this? What? The, the point being is he's stuck on everything that went wrong in the performance, every little slip that happened, the fact that yesterday he dropped his sword in a different way that was more funny, and this day, this time when he dropped his sword, it didn't drop correctly, and you didn't notice, you didn't care. It was good. You're just thankful that for once you went to see your friends in a play and it wasn't terrible. And now suicide is off the table because you got out of the play correctly. Woo. But meanwhile, from his perspective, from his perception, it was terrible. It was awful. Everything went wrong or, you know, just, it just didn't feel right. And all these things that has nothing to do with you. So when you're looking at, if someone's looking at Dark Spectre and they're watching the effects and the effects are like, hey, that's pretty cool. Like, those things look pretty good. They don't know the three times I got scammed, the amount of money it cost me, the amount of pain that those VFX cost, and the fact that very few of them are exactly what I wanted because the VFX group that did them never gave us two revisions, but they never did what we asked for originally the first time, so we had to fight for every effect. That affects me. You don't need to know that. Probably shouldn't have told you that. But that affects my enjoyment of it. You just see cool effects. You don't see the bits of the story that didn't work, so we excised them because this is going on too long. My favorite piece of acting in Dark Spectre 2 is not there. It's not in the short. Mm. It's in my demo reel, Ouch. but it's not in the short because ultimately it didn't help the story along. And so that went away. Do I regret that? Of course I do. That was my favorite piece of acting I've ever done. It was Ugh. it was this nice emotional moment that really presents the conflict in my character's soul. I would love to have it there. It doesn't help the story. So that bothers me. Doesn't bother you. 
Well, what we don't know can't hurt us, right? Yes. So, so yeah, so that's in- when it comes back to the perceptions of what people think. I don't know. I don't know why I should. As if they're if they enjoy it, that's wonderful to me. If they don't, they didn't. Their life moves on. If I let yeah. everyone's opinion affect me, I can't make the decisions I need to make, and it weighs on my psyche. So it's better to simply just reasonably pay it. attention to it and just kind of let it go. Because you can't make everyone happy. No. Yeah. No. Sounds like yeah. It sounds like that's the uh, the take advice. The, you know. <laughs> take them a voice of the majority on the outside. Make revisions as you can. But other than that, a lot of it sounds like internal dialogue, whether that's positive or negative, based off personal experience. That's about sums right. it up pretty nicely. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like in all of these projects, there's been a lot of uh, learning moments, a lot mm-hmm. of situations that were pretty good, some that weren't so great. After all these projects, all the acting you've done, some of the things with the podcast, how has your approach and process changed over your career? A lot more comfortable in simply making a decision and going forward with it. So I, I, I doing these films made me a lot more of a direct communicator because them being low budget films, I felt like I was imposing on somebody. So I was, I was afraid to ask you for something where now it's sort of like, Hey Grady, uh, I suck at coloring. You're pretty good at that. I'm having an issue with my short. How do I fix this shot? I'll just ask you and I'll just, I'll be direct about what I need. I won't try to worm my way into it. I will have difficult conversations that I don't want to have simply because it's better to get them over right away most people or a lot of people i don't have statistics on it because i'm just pulling stuff out of my ass but my experience has been a lot of people have difficulty making decisions they're afraid of making the wrong decision in a lot of cases there really isn't a wrong decision there's just a different decision and you you're more harmed by the the act of not making a decision than simply going well choice a you follow the path of choice A or choice B. We can do this or we can do that. So you got past uh, that really common decision paralysis that affects so many people. I will, I will weigh a decision fairly rapidly and just make it. And especially if it's a decision that I can see on the outside that ultimately the, it's both are going to get there in one form or another, then, okay, this, this one, we'll go this one. We're just going to do that. We'll do that. Well, what about this? If there's these benefits to it, there are those benefits to it, but there's these benefits. We're still doing that. Let's just go because then you move. And the whole getting somewhere is a matter of taking steps. Every decision point is an opportunity to stop taking steps and get paralyzed. As you said, um, you know, decision paralysis. So just take the steps. Most things, even if they go wrong, you will either learn from it, you'll recover from it, or it'll work out in a different way. Very few things in life are zero-sum. This went wrong, it's over. Mostly, it's even when it's like, well, this didn't become the thing I wanted, there still was a lot of value out of it. You learned something. It still performed well. For all of the problems with Dark Spectre too. they're kind of blurry because of my depth of feel, but I have a shelf full of... Um, Aside from the giant robots, I have a shelf full of awards for mostly Dark Spectre 2 and some for lunchtime is over. That's nice. 
But that's because I made decisions. And that was the result of things not going exactly as right as they should have. So it actually pans out to just do something with your life instead of trying to get stuck and making the perfect decision because the perfect decision is going to take too long. And you're never going to get there. Or here's another way to look at it. So let's say there's somebody out in your audience who wants to start something and they've been hemming and hawing about it. They don't have the confidence to do it. It's probably not going to be good, right? Well, yeah, chances are the first thing you do is going to suck. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter when the first thing you do is tomorrow or three years from now. It's still going to suck no matter what it is. It's when you get to the 10th, the 15th, the 20th, where you start getting into your groove. You start learning. You start getting the experience that makes competency and quality possible. So just start. Do your first stumbles. Don't let it... Don't think of it as like, well, this is probably not going to be good. It, it still may be, but don't think of it as like a, a burden or a reason to hold you back. Think of it as a freeing thought. It's okay. It's going to be fine. Everybody's first thing is problematic. Everybody screws up the first time. So get your first time under your belt. Get off to your second time. Get off to your third time. Because that's when things start clicking in. Don't be afraid to make the mistakes. Embrace them. They are what make you better. So I took two things from that. First is the, it's just an extension of gaining more confidence in, I guess, the willingness to accept whatever happens from your action, just because doing it is better than not doing it, no matter what happens. You don't learn how to move forward unless you move forward. Right. And the other thing, I've been wanting to say this since you started talking about it, is one of the things you learned from directing was being more direct. Shocking. Way putting it. Yeah, no, it's um even in my personal life, because uh, I, having come from being very, very shy, having difficult conversations, I would feel, I would pre-feel terrible. I would pre-feel terrible about, I might hurt your feelings. It, it might be uncomfortable. You might not like me. So I couldn't have these real in-depth personalized conversations because I didn't want to hurt you, as I've repeated five times in the space of one sentence. When I began having problems on film sets because I was afraid to ask somebody something or afraid to have a difficult conversation, then things took much longer to get done. Things weren't done the way I wanted because I wasn't being clear. So I had to learn to be clear. So now, and this translated into personal things where uh, in a previous relationship, we danced around the issues. Whenever an issue would occur, we wouldn't talk about it. We would avoid it. We would just deal with it so that very, very minor things, because we didn't talk about the minor things, became irritating things, which we didn't talk about, which became big things, which we didn't talk about, until we were breaking up, which we talked about. So in, in this, yeah, oops, it happens. So through the film things, I learned to be able, even in my personal life, to go like, hey, this thing happened, and I don't want to make a big deal about it, but... But I want to talk about how I felt about it. I want to see how you viewed it so that we can take care of this now and put it all and, and get rid of it so that it's not just something that we've accepted. We've dealt with it and now it's not an issue anymore. And out of that, um, now my girlfriend, um, whom I have the most healthy relationship I've ever had in my life with anybody ever, this is what will happen. And there will be times when I will do something because I am a moron and I will do things. And she'll be like, hey, 
this happened and I felt this was like this, like you said this and I know you were joking. You didn't mean it, but it felt disrespectful. And I'd be like, Oh, I can see how that happened. I did not mean to do that to you. I'm sorry that I do did that under that circumstance. I will, I will do my best to remember and not do that again. I was clearly at fault and mean it. Not just like I'm trying to placate you. Yes. All that happened. But now we're able to do that on the minor things. So the minor things don't become bigger. And that was one of the big life lessons I got out of the, one of them out of the filming and directing and producing and basically spending months married to these things that are almost <laughs> entire life encompassing until they go away. And then you're like, it's over. <laughs> what do I do with my time? I, I feel like there's a lot to be learned from that. It really um, is. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we wrap things up? I feel like that was a fairly good ending note. Well, alrighty. Hope you guys the enjoyed. Dead silence per, per, this permeates over the entire thing. You can hear the crickets <laughs> yeah. in the distance. Well, it, it was <laughs> nice until somebody opened their mouth. Hey. <laughs> anyway, if you guys enjoyed, make sure to hit that like button. Subscribe for more videos in the future, and we'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Later.